Another National Signing Day has come and gone, which means we've got plenty to talk about. You are Locked On Big Ten, your daily podcast on the Big Ten Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, this is Nate Dickinson. You're tuned in to Locked On Big Ten. Everything you need to know about the conference every day of the week. Coming up on today's show, National Signing Day has come and gone, which means we've got plenty to talk about and we've got the right guy to talk about it with. John Garcia Jr. is back in to give us his breakdown on everything we got from just signing day alone in the Big Ten. Of course, everyone's signing the NLIs, but who flipped, who committed, who decommitted. We're going to get into all the action from moves that were actually made on the day Wednesday here with John. Before we do that, though, a reminder that this is Locked On Big Ten. Everything you need to know in the conference every day. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts, on YouTube and on Twitter, at Locked On Big Ten. That's one zero at the end, not T-E-N. All right, John's got a whole lot for us to dive into, so let's get into it right now with him as we start up a look at everything that happened on Wednesday with National Signing Day, a whole bunch of people committing to Big Ten schools, some people flipping from one school to another in and out of the Big Ten. We'll talk about all of it here with John. Hey, listening into Locked On Big Ten alongside John Garcia Jr., our insider giving us insider scoops on everything going on with National Signing Day and everything else in recruiting in football. I'm Nate Dickinson. John brought to us here today in part by LinkedIn Jobs. He is great at looking at the candidates for the next stars of college football. LinkedIn Jobs is great at helping you find the candidates for your next great job. Head on over to LinkedIn Jobs slash Locked On College to see what we're talking about. All right, John, a whole bunch of stuff went down on Wednesday, as we knew it would. National Signing Day, early signing period starting up. Sixth year, we've done this and not had to wait until February to get all this done. But it's a whole lot more fun doing it now here during the holiday season, of course, while there's still football going on and everyone's still really excited about things. I want to get into the actual things that happened here on signing day that were more than just people signing on the dotted line. People made moves, people made commitments, and plenty to go through in the Big Ten. I want to start with the one that happened, actually, I think it was on Tuesday, the day before National Signing Day. Anyway, it was earlier this week. Caden Proctor ends up flipping over to Alabama. When we talked about him before committing to the Hawkeyes, one of the things that you cited about why he was so good was that he had that Bama offer. Now he's over to the Crimson Tide. Why was it that he changed his mind here? Was this written at all and kind of foreshadowed? I would say not until late in the game. This was not something, you know, Caden hadn't even taken a lot of visits after that commitment. He was kind of just steady, locked in, in state school, all of that. It really wasn't until around, you know, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, basically, where he said, you know, let me let me go ahead and take a couple trips, went out to Oregon. And, and that really, I think, signaled, hey, I'm. I'm committed, but, you know, I'm, I'm open to a degree. And we know Oregon and Alabama were the two programs that never stopped talking to Caden. So after the Oregon trip, sure enough, he took the Bama visit on the last visit weekend right before signing day. And 
you know, by, by the end of Saturday of that official visit, I was getting word out of Tuscaloosa. Hey, they feel like they're actually going to be able to flip Kate. And I think the biggest difference in how he viewed Bama maybe before committing to Iowa and after is all the offensive line turnover. Uh, you know, at one point, Alabama, you know, brought in maybe the best O-line class in the country last year, Bama and Texas. A lot of those guys saw some, some playing time early. And then the experienced guys at Alabama were pretty fluid and a bunch hit the portal since the season started to wind down, including one of the starters to enable a little bit more playing time for the young offensive linemen. So I think that domino falling maybe told Caden, Hey, you know, I actually can factor into this rotation pretty early at Alabama, which is not something we typically associate with the Crimson Tide. So I think the combination of that and obviously the late visit and, and the priority level that he always occupied on Alabama's board was just really too much to say no to at the 11th hour. And, and they completed a flip that, you know, it, it's kind of understandable, right? It's, it's like kids will tell you or coaches will tell you, Bama gets involved, you know, good luck. Uh, just like if, you know, if Stanford gets involved with a kid, you're like, hey, man, you can't complain about those academics. You understand why they can go out and, and grab an elite prospect. Uh, so it just kind of is what it is. Tough for Iowa, the timing especially, but it's something that, you know, obviously they were well aware of once he started taking those trips. Still really hurts for Iowa. That guy, in-state guy, five-star guy, would have been one of the best highly rated recruits that the school had ever had. Those are the kinds of players that when you're talking about, okay, how do we get like the difference makers, what separates the good from the great recruiters, keeping those guys in-house is one of those things that people talk about needing to do. Iowa did it, but then at the last second, of course, Nick Saban swoops in. Uh, let's move on, John. Michigan, big get on the offensive side. Carmelo English, top 100 guy as far as, as far as everyone in the nation goes. A wide receiver by position. This is a guy who had, of course, all sorts of other really big offers under his name. But why did he go with the Wolverines? What do you see here? He could see he sees himself as a difference maker for, for that program, a guy who can go in and stir things up. And look, the last Alabama receiver who went up to Ann Arbor did pretty well. Nico Collins, right? Still in the NFL. Carmelo's similar in that he's very polished coming out of high school, but Nico was kind of a bigger jumbo back shoulder throw type guy. Carmelo's more balanced, 6'1", 200 pounds, very good with the ball in his hands. He's a great kick and punt returner on top of it. So he could really become a huge impact player uh, up in Ann Arbor. We all know the, the conventional thoughts around this Michigan offense over the last several years is very much run the football, great offensive line play. And then you, you build off of that with your skill position guys. But with J.J. McCarthy's potential and, and you know, the natural – uh, assimilation of, of a more spread looking offense. You need more guys who can make plays on the outside. And Carmelo is a great late addition for the Wolverines one-time Auburn commitment. And really, even when he backed off of Auburn, we thought that a lot of sec schools were going to be major players. And sure enough, they came calling Georgia, Kentucky, several others yet. And still goes up to Michigan, loves it. It offers true variance uh, from what he's used to in sec country. And obviously look, the winning, you know, this is now the first cycle or two where we could talk about Michigan. Hey, kids view this as a major stable winning program, not something we talked about even two cycles ago. So I do think you see examples of that perception changing with some of these most recent classes and English in particular. Turn around programs. How do you start getting people to come to your school? 
winning's the quickest thing to kind of fix that as works. we continue yep. along. And Michigan wasn't done. They got a corner as well over on signing day. Jair, or Jair Hill had offers from Illinois, Florida, Florida State, over in the SEC and ACC. But he ends up coming to Michigan. Who's the, who is he getting or who is Jim Harbaugh getting in this guy? A big balanced defensive back who I think has some corner ability despite being a bigger kid, six foot one, around 200 pounds or so, just kind of profiles as as that new age lengthy corner where, you know, you've got to work to get around him. You can't just uh, run by him from a physical standpoint. He's ready and willing to play at the catch point. The ball skills are rock solid here. So, yeah, this was an ideal finish for Michigan. The class was a bit of a slow build. Uh, until you know the weather started to turn but these these splash finishes on both sides of the ball really kind of emphasize where Michigan wants to be uh, so huge head-to-head victories over not only uh, your interconference rivals but e- even going down to SEC and ACC country which we know is really where you get even a, a higher percentage of difference makers uh, on the recruiting trail not to talk about Ohio State too. Didn't get quite everyone that they wanted. The Buckeyes. Uh, Damon Wilson, five-star guy, number thirty-one recruit. I think it was. If I looked through the right numbers and the top recruiting rankings, at least right now, this guy is obviously going to get offered by just about everyone. Ohio State was there. He ends up picking Georgia over them. What led to that decision? Yeah, Georgia started to really knock the visits out of the park. There was a point early in the fall where Wilson looked like Ohio State was going to be the school that that he ended up at. He was at the Notre Dame game. He returned for, I think, two more games during the season. But Georgia, again, timing-wise, got later visits, including his official visit up to Athens. And really from that point, they started talking about pairing him with another elite edge rusher that they had just brought in and Samuel Mpemba. The two hit it off, and, and now they're both signed to the Bulldogs in what is, you know, maybe the most gaudy defensive front seven class uh, in the country. Uh, so it's really hard for anyone to to push back on Georgia grabbing a defensive recruit. It's just it's just a stranglehold that Kirby Smart and company uh, have. And I think, again, the timing of the late SEC official visit is still very hard uh, to compete and contend with. So yeah, a bit of a bit of a disappointment down the stretch for Ohio State relative to the edge rusher position, striking out on, on some of their top targets. Although they did, I'm sure we'll talk about, they did grab one edge prospect that's going to profile really importantly when we look back uh, on this class of 23. Yeah, go ahead and talk about them a little bit. I assume you're going into Josh Makins. Yes. Uh, look, this was a huge deal, right? Because Ohio State misses on Mateo Uyangalale, Damon Wilson, as we mentioned, Keon Keeley committed to Alabama uh, a few weeks before signing day. Those were really considered the big three pass rushers. And Ohio State had zero edge commitments when those three were all on the market simultaneously. So there was a sense of, hey, you got to go grab at least one of these guys, if not two. So once Uh, the tea leaves started to show themselves. I do credit Larry Johnson and and that coaching staff on that side of the ball to have moved on and expanded the recruiting board because clearly they needed to still fill that position, even if it wasn't one of those three. And they rewarded it to a senior riser in Josh Mickens, a guy from Indianapolis who was a take early for LSU 
in, in principle, this was a, hey, he's long, he's lean, he's athletic. Let's see if we can kind of mold him into the next great LSU pass rusher. But then as a senior, he was extremely productive on top of that. So some of that trajectory started to come to fruition. So good on Ohio State for evaluating a kid, you know, in that Big Ten footprint and pulling him away from a program that kind of like Michigan has stabilized in its recruiting pitch at LSU under Brian Kelly. Not an easy feat, uh, but again, Midwestern kid, uh, grew up an Ohio State fan, and they, they started to court him more and more as the season went on. So basically the moment he decommitted from LSU a couple of weeks ago, we all knew he was probably Ohio State bound, but that was a great rebound of, you know, from Ohio State after missing on some of these other pass rushers. So still a good class. You know, Jason Moore out of D.C. is a great inside out pass rusher. And now you pair him with Mickens as an edge guy. So if you're being nitpicky, you say, hey, it wasn't the best pass rusher, but you still filled the needs. So it'll be interesting to compare Mickens to those other three as their college careers get going. What about a guy the Buckeyes had and ended up uh, flipping on Wednesday? Kyan Lee, corner, ends up going with Hugh Freeze and Auburn after originally committing to Ryan Day and the Buckeyes. Yeah, and he was committed to Georgia before that. So a guy who's fluctuated quite a bit uh, throughout the recruiting process. Yeah, look, as soon as if Auburn was, was able to get him on campus under Brian Harson, and there were a couple of indicators, hey, you know, if Auburn really pushed, they might have a shot. Uh, and a lot of that was credited to Zach Etheridge the DB coach at Auburn. Uh, so when the transition was made to Hugh Freeze, in reference to Kay and Lee and some of these other players, it was like, okay, well, what about Etheridge? How, how, is, how is Hugh Freeze going to navigate that? And there was at one point, it looked like he was maybe not going to be retained. And I think that would have opened the door for Ohio State to hold on to Kay and Lee and some other players to stick to their schools. But then something changed and Freeze announced that he would retain Zach Etheridge right before signing day. Very smart from Hugh Freeze. And I think that was a huge reason why Auburn closed incredibly well. I think if you look at all the transition coaching staffs that are going through it right now, Auburn and Nebraska, I thought, did the best job down the home stretch. And uh, a lot of those Auburn gets were in the secondary. And that has a lot to do with retaining Zach Etheridge. And I know for Kay and Lee, that was important as well. Talked a lot about Ohio State, a lot about Michigan, and even if it's about a team like Ohio State losing guys. I mean, we're talking about you with them, which means that you're in the conversation, which is good. Uh, let's go a little bit further down and talk about some of the other Big Ten schools who got some big gets on signing day. Maryland gets a guy in state, Neo Avery, four star defensive end committing to the Turks. Uh, was this as easy as you think it is when you're talking about in state guys? It really wasn't. Uh, you know, Neil Avery was a guy who was very coveted early on, Penn State commitment as an underclassman at, at a great school, good council in, in the D.C. area, one of those Catholic League schools that we talk about uh, that play great football. And then he commits and or he visits and then commits to Ole Miss late in the summer. And he looks like, you know, their centerpiece pass rusher uh, in Lane Kiffin's class. And there's really no talk of wavering until very late in the cycle, kind of on the same timeline of, of Caden Proctor, until very late in the game did he take that trip to see Mike Loxley and the Maryland Terrapins. And it wasn't until, I think, the night before signing day, came across my desk, hey, uh, Ole Miss is trying to hold on here uh, to Neil Avery, but Maryland is absolutely you know, on the warpath. And sure enough, he signs with Maryland on signing day. Huge, huge get uh, for Mike Loxley. We, we know they've been able to recruit 
at a higher level offensively compared to defensively. So anytime you can start to push against that, it's a pretty big deal. And Avery is, is really fascinating. This is a big, he's kind of a jumbo athlete. He was a quarterback earlier in his high school career and then it moonlights as a defensive end, but that flash has just increased by the year at six, five, 240 pounds or so. So that athleticism off the edge is big wherever he ends up, uh, but it feels even bigger at Maryland because obviously that's the side of the ball we need to see a lot more from uh, from the Terps. Nebraska at one point had Malachi Coleman, athlete four-star, he ends up decommitting and then recommits to the new regime under Matt Rule. What is he like as far as what Nebraska is getting? And also, what's been the uh, ripple effect here, if there has been, of Matt Rule in his first few weeks as the head coach in recruiting? Well, like I said earlier, I mean, Nebraska and Auburn hit the ground running best of these schools in transition. And that includes Deion Sanders in Colorado. Again, just talking about the high school ranks in particular. And I think with Malachi Coleman, it is a great example because it came down to Matt Rule versus Dion. His final two visits were to Nebraska and Colorado. Colorado got the last one. And all of a sudden it looked like, okay, you know, this is going to be a measuring stick recruitment early in Matt Rule's tenure, uh, and sure enough, uh, he won out anyway, and this was huge, right? Uh, this is a kid who's from Lincoln, so had every reason always to consider the Huskers, but that was something he cited as a, a detractor because he wanted additional opportunities, and he had visits getting canceled late in the process because people thought he was just going to end up at Nebraska anyway, so he decommits after the coaching change, and everyone for the first time feels like, hey, this door is open. Let's go get Malachi. Penn State got involved. Obviously, Colorado, a bunch of other schools tried to get a visit, Miami included, but he ends up just taking the two trips, gave Matt Rule that due diligence and courtesy of getting back to campus and just fell in love with the vision. Uh, I think the NFL pedigree is resonating with not only Malachi, but a lot of these late uh, Nebraska gets. Uh, and that's something that is incredibly um, valuable to sell on the recruiting trail. And then in terms of what Nebraska is getting, hey, this is six four one of the fastest players in the country at that size receiver uh who's, who's just getting going from a technical standpoint so uh at a minimum he could be a rotational guy early on maybe in help on special teams but if he polishes up this could be the true wide receiver one for multiple years for the corn huskers and to have brought that in locally is a big deal because you know there's not a lot of cycles where your marquee guy for the nebraska corn huskers is a kid from Lincoln. So if it works out, this could have a, a strong ripple effect beyond just, hey, this is a really great player. When he's homegrown and local like that, I think it hits a little bit different, especially with that passionate fan base. Juan Garcia Jr., I love having you on, John, because I know I can just reel off names and you'll be able to just open up the encyclopedia and rip off a few minutes on anybody. So we appreciate you taking some time to talk about some of the biggest names that we saw make choices or change choices on the actual signing day. Of course, a whole lot of other stuff throughout the recruiting cycle in these last few weeks that we could talk about too, but it would be nice just to keep it to the one day here with you today, John. I know you're super, super busy during this time, so I appreciate even more than ever you taking the time to come on with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Nate. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to John Garcia Jr. for joining us on the program as always. 
Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right, driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think that law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell, your coworkers can tell, even your parents can tell, everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. Let's wrap things up with a little bit of a wider, I'd say, helicopter look at how things turned out after National Signing Day by taking a look at the team recruiting rankings. For the class of 2023, the Big Ten is always well represented at the top and all the way down, but only three Big Ten teams, four maybe, crack the top 25 in recruiting classes this season, depending on where you look. At the top, of course, is Ohio State. I'll be using the numbers off of the 247.com composite rankings. I just like them most. They put together all sorts of different rankings from different sites, and it's what I've used as the standard for a while now. In those rankings, the top team in the Big Ten is Ohio State, which clocks in at number 6 in the country. After that, you've got Penn State at number 14, Michigan at 17, Nebraska at 28, Michigan is at 25 to just barely creep into that top 25, Nebraska at 28, and Maryland at 33. The only other schools in the top 40 were right at the very end of that cutoff of 40 teams. Iowa, Northwestern, and Minnesota were 38, 39, and 40, respectively. So what does that mean for how the Big Ten's recruiting class looks? Overall, I'm not super, super impressed with the number of teams, of course, at the top for the Big Ten. There's four top 25 teams, but only one of them in the top 10. Only two of them in the top 15. It's not the best recruiting year for the conference, which I guess as a whole makes sense because at the end of the day, the idea that Ohio State and Michigan were the only two good teams in the Big Ten, yes, I disagree with it. Yes, I think there's plenty of evidence I could point to to say, hey, this team was plenty good, this team was plenty good. Aside from Ohio State, Michigan, and again, then again, Penn State, too, who had 10 wins as well, there wasn't that much huge, huge talent out there being shown on the field. So if you're looking for top players to come to your top programs, the winning, as we talked about with John, is part of what turns that around. And we saw some teams, I think, maybe take a little bit of a step back just because of that, at least the conference as a whole, I should say. I shouldn't say individual teams. But the Big Ten, of course, again, still represented. Ohio State at the top, as we expect. And then a big winner out of this day, I think, or out of this cycle, we should say, is Penn State. It has a really good recruiting class, has been like this the entire way, but as we wrap things up on it, they're going to clock in, it looks like, at higher than Michigan. There's still some moves that need to be made. But as it stands, Penn State 14, Michigan 17. That's a big, big win for James Franklin. He got his team back where it needed to be on the field this season, and now it's translating to how Penn State is able to recruit this offseason. We'll see how that continues, but for them to be over Michigan right now, especially considering the year on the field that Michigan had with them, that's a big win for the Nittany Lions. At the same time, I think it's a pretty big loss for Michigan too, not just falling below Penn State, but 
going all the way down to number 17 in this class. Listen, you obviously didn't have a lot of that prestige until you beat Ohio State in the last week of the regular season. But I would expect a little bit better from a Michigan team that had gone through the whole season having already beaten Ohio State once and was going through that regular season leading up to the Buckeyes game, beating teams down. I mean, if I'm a recruit who's considering Michigan, and I care about this kind of thing, the -the on-the-field stuff, and we can have another discussion about how much recruits really, really care about that before they get to campus. But the point is, if I'm a recruit who's thinking about Michigan and maybe any other school, I mean, the Wolverines beat Ohio State last year. You're watching them destroy teams throughout this year. If I'm at all interested in actually joining that team, I'm going to wait till the end of the season and see if they can beat Ohio State again. See if this is legit, legit, right? So Michigan not being able to really capitalize on that yet. They got a couple of good gets on signing day. We talked about them with John. But even with that, them sitting below Penn State in this ranking and not really firmly in the top 25 either. I mean, 17th is firmly in the top 25, but not in like top 10 range is where I would want Michigan to be, and they're not there. Other big winners, I think, just further down the list, Nebraska being the fifth best recruiting class in the Big Ten in Maryland, coming in at number six. I mean, it can be a toss-up in a matter of just a few players as to who ends up where when you get into that, like, 25 to 40 range, but Nebraska and Maryland coming out on top is good. Mike Loxley, of course, after the season, he had some success with Talia Tungvaloa, executing that and converting it into good players, and Matt Rule having an effect right away on Nebraska, getting his team up in the rankings too. A couple of good signs for those two schools. That's really, though, my biggest loser is the Michigan Wolverines, Big winners, Penn State, bigger than anyone as far as like actual immediate relevance on the football field. And then if you're talking about building a program, a good move by Matt Rule to keep his team near the top 25 in the recruiting classes. And of course, Mike Loxley too, getting in closing in on that top 25 as well. So some good classes all around, not so good classes too. You'll notice I mentioned seven teams there in that top 40, or more than seven, I should say. I mentioned one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams in that top 40. Check that. The Wisconsin Badgers, not one of them. They got a new head coach. They've got plenty of prestige behind the program. Couldn't crack the top 40 this season. We'll, of course, maybe have to talk about that at some point in the offseason too. We'll talk more about all the people that have signed over the last week and get to know more about these recruiting classes soon here on Locked On Big Ten as well. Because while we talked about a lot with John, that was just the stuff that happened on Wednesday, on the actual day. So we've got plenty to discuss about what happened, say, just in the last couple of weeks and how these classes got shaped. We'll get into all of that here on Locked On Big Ten as we continue along with the show. Until next time. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts, on YouTube and on Twitter. It's at LockedOnBig10 there. You can also follow me on my personal account, at NateWithSports on Twitter. Until next time, this has been Nate Dickinson with Locked On.